Welcome to Greece, and more specifically, welcome to the city of Philippi. The archaeological ruins that you see behind me are the remains of the ancient city of Philippi. And I have to tell you that I have grown to love this city. And as we journey together over the next six sessions, I believe that you're going to grow to love this city as well. Philippi, an unbelievably important place. To make my case, I'd like to tell you that the Greek Empire began here. When I refer to the Greek Empire, do you remember Alexander the Great? Well, it was actually his father, Philip, that named this city after himself. He named it Philippi. Alexander the Great, he came to this ancient city. He, he loved this city and he loved the gold of this city. In the hills that surround Philippi, there is much gold. And Alexander funded his world conquest campaign with the gold from Philippi. And so the Greek empire had its beginnings right here. And not only that, the Roman empire had its beginnings right here. Do you remember Julius Caesar? Well, Julius Caesar was assassinated by Brutus and Cassius because they were concerned that he was gaining too much power. Well, after his assassination, his son, Octavian, fought to maintain control of the, of the land. And the battle that he fought was right here. Octavian fought his father's assassins in the Battle of Philippi in the fields that surround the town, right here on this plain. And it was that battle that Octavian won that began the Roman Empire. Octavian pronounced himself the very first emperor. The Roman Empire began right here. And as important as the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire are, it's what took place in the Bible that occurred right here that captures my heart the most. I guess we could say that our part of the empire of God began right here. Let me explain what I mean. The very first Christian convert of the Western world, of Europe, was right here in Philippi. Remember, Christianity began in the East. Israel, Jerusalem are part of Asia. Well, when the Apostle Paul in Acts 16 came over, the very first place he went was this city right here. And his first convert was a citizen of Philippi. And with that conversion began a rapid expansion of the kingdom of Jesus Christ into the Western world, which all of us are beneficiaries of. <laughs> the significance of what took place in Philippi is amazing. And we're going to study together Acts 16, dive into the events that occurred right here, and our lives will be changed forever because of what God did in this city. I am so excited to study with you the drama, the biblical drama of Philippi. The archaeologists working here in Philippi unearthed this massive basilica or ancient church. And when I say massive, it really is big. It's 150 yards from end to end. It was created, built back in 500 AD. 
And it served the Christians here at Philippi very well for one century. And then in 600 AD, it was completely demolished. It came to a very sudden and tragic end. You see, northern Greece here lies on a fault line. And as a result, it is subjected to much seismic activity. And it was an earthquake that destroyed this church. Can you imagine the day that it occurred? Here, this cathedral was dearly loved by the residents of Philippi. They were so proud of their magnificent church. But on that day, the ground started shaking. And the walls of the church started wobbling. And the beautiful pillars started waving back and forth. And then in that horrific moment, the entire cathedral collapsed. These beautiful marble steps were the main entrance up into the ancient basilica. And I find a certain irony in the fact that this exact location was chosen because of an earthquake that had occurred here 500 years earlier. That's right, the church destroyed by an earthquake was built here because of an earthquake. And the earlier earthquake is the one that occurred when Paul and Silas were in jail here in Philippi. And folks, this stone structure is the traditional jail of Paul and Silas. And the basilica is built all around it. And we need to read a verse about what took place in this jail. Acts chapter 16 verse 26 says that suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. <laughs> Folks, that's one of my favorite miracles. You talk about God coming to save the day. Here Paul and Silas are imprisoned and in jail, and in one glorious moment, an earthquake of such miraculous proportions strikes that the locks on the doors are jiggled open, the door opens, and the chains fall off their wrists. Now that's a miracle. And that's the kind of stuff I want God to do in my life, don't you? I mean, who wants a, a Christian faith that believes in a God who's out there somewhere far away? Don't all of us long for our Christian experience to be one that is rich with the tangible presence of God, with his power at work with us throughout our day? All of us long for a faith infused with the presence of God. And yet, can I make an interesting observation about Acts chapter 16? The whole chapter is chock full of verses that describe God's activity in Paul's life. And yet, this is only one verse about the earthquake. The rest of the verses describe God's activity in the more behind-the-scenes or subtle expression. And so, what we find is the predominance of God's activity is not the big, bold, earth-shaking, miraculous type of activity. This series is entitled Tremors. And the reason for that is that a tremor is not a violent movement of the Earth's crust, like an earthquake. It's very minor. In fact, if you don't have the technology to sense it, you may not recognize it at all. 
And what we're going to find is though God does the big, bold, and miraculous, the majority of what he does is of the more subtle expression. Most of God's activity is behind the scenes. Most of God's activity is tremors. In Acts chapter 16, the Bible says that the Apostle Paul left Turkey, traveled across the Aegean Sea, and came to the land of Greece. The Bible records that Paul sailed by boat and came to the port of Neapolis. And folks, the city you see behind me, that is Neapolis. This is where Paul came. And upon coming to Neapolis, the Bible records that he walked 10 miles inland to the city of Philippi. The road that I'm on is a 2,000-year-old road that links Neapolis and Philippi. This is the road that the Apostle Paul walked upon. He tread on these very stones. The question I have for you is, why this road? Of all the countless roads in the world, why was Paul on the road to Philippi? The answer is actually very simple. God wanted him here. This is the road God wanted Paul to travel. Paul knew it. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, Paul knew God wanted him to go to Philippi. Do you know the road you're on? Do you know that's the road God wants you on? Are you absolutely sure that the adventure of your daily life is one chosen by God himself? The only way that you can know is to learn the art of listening to the guiding voice of God. Of all the roads that you could live, there is one that's the best, and it's called the will of God. And together we're going to learn from Paul how we can discern God's voice and let him guide our lives. So do you believe that God guides you? Do you believe that God is real and he's active and that he's actually nudging and pushing you through life, making your life the adventure that he wants? Some are like, absolutely. Others are, I'm not sure. Friends, he does. In fact, if you're not sensitive to the subtle guidance of God, you'll miss it entirely. That's why we call it a tremor, because it's not an earthquake that you can't ignore, but rather something you've got to listen for. But God does guide. And one of the greatest privileges of the Christian life is allowing him to write your story and to guide you through each day. So let's discover, shall we, seven ways that God guides, seven ways he guided the Apostle Paul to the town of Philippi, exactly where he wanted him. Uh, seven ways God guides, starting with Acts chapter 16, verse 6. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. 
So Paul and his companions, they're going through Phrygia and Galatia. Why were they there? Well, they wanted to go to Asia. And by the way, this isn't Asia like the continent. This is a southwest province in Turkey called Asia. Paul was headed straight to Asia, but the Holy Spirit kept him from going that direction. So he cut north through Phrygia and Galatia. Yes, one of the ways that God guides us is through the Holy Spirit. I've got a directional sign here to remind us of the role of the Holy Spirit. This is huge. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. We call it a nudging of the Holy Spirit or a leading of the Holy Spirit. Are you familiar with that urging of the Spirit? You're like, oh, Jeff, are you talking about hearing voices? Suppose I am. Friends, ideas come into our brain that of are of divine origin. The Holy Spirit put that idea there. You say, really? Here, here's an example. I have a dear friend of mine who unfortunately got into a, a fight with his wife. They were yelling back and forth. He said hurtful words. She stormed off to the bedroom. He stormed out of the house to his car. He got in his car and immediately was convicted of what he had said and of his sin. And as he sat there in the car, an idea came to mind. Get in the house, find your wife, and apologize to her. And he said, you know, I think that's a leading, uh, an urging of the Holy Spirit. And so he followed. He got out of the car, went back into the house, started going upstairs, and then he realized he heard his wife in the shower. And he thought to himself, well, maybe I was wrong then. I mean, the Holy Spirit would never have guided me. He knew she was in the shower and this wouldn't be possible. And as he stood there deliberating, he realized, no, this is the Spirit's guidance. In fact, now the Spirit has given me more clarity on what I am to do. He's like, really? All right, I'll do it. He marched into the bedroom, into the bathroom, and into the shower, fully clothed with the water, just falling on his head. And in that goofy position, he poured out his apology to his wife. She forgave. She laughed. A memory was created. Friends, God does this kind of thing. He nudges us by his spirit. And if you're listening, you can learn to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. You, you know, if I were to call you, you know, in the old days, we didn't see caller ID who was calling. We'd, we'd say, hello, hello, and we'd have to recognize who was on the other end and say, hey, this is Jeff, yeah. Friends, similarly, after a while, we begin to recognize what the Holy Spirit's voice sounds like, what it feels like when it's him nudging. And with some experience, we can get good at sensing and obeying the promptings of the Holy Spirit. What's next? Verse 7. It says, When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bith Bithynia. Mycenae and Bithynia are to the northern part of Turkey. And it says that they tried to enter. It doesn't tell us what stopped them, but here they actually tried. And they couldn't get in. Uh, this is what we would call a closed door. We don't like closed doors, but you know, when the door slams in your face, that's one way to know the will of God. In fact, in this passage, it says they tried to get in, but Je the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Whatever stopped them from getting in, they equated that with the Spirit of Jesus, that 
this was spiritual. A closed door was spiritual. This was God's doing. And friends, sometimes a door slammed in your face is how God reveals his will. You know, you were hoping for that job. You interviewed as best as you could. You didn't get it. It's not the will of God. Or you uh, applied to that college and you weren't accepted. It's his will. Or you think this gal might be the one you're supposed to marry and she dumps you. Not fun, but we should praise God, believe it or not, and thank him for the clarity that a closed door can bring. All right, verse 8. It says, So they passed by Mycenae. That's where they wanted to get in, but couldn't. And they went down. Down is not south. Down is actually down from a higher elevation to Troas, which was a town on the Aegean Sea. It's a harbor town. Uh, why did they go to Troas? Well, they're running out of options. They had tried to go south to Asia, and the Holy Spirit had stopped them. They had tried to go north. They couldn't go that route either. So they're left with east or west. Had they gone east, that would have been going back towards Jerusalem, back towards home. And, and Paul and his friends knew that would not be in line with the biblical instructions that Jesus had laid out. Christ, upon his ascension, he had said, listen, take the message from Jerusalem further and further away to the other ends of the earth. And so they knew the general direction they were supposed to go based on what was recorded in, in Scripture. That's one of the ways that God reveals his will is the word of God. Uh, they applied their dilemma. East and west is all we've got. East is against the scriptural command. West Makes sense. And so they went west to Troas. Similarly, we can look at our decision and ask, does Scripture help me at all? Is there a moral side to this where doing this would be a violation of what Scripture says? Or would doing this be in obedience to a value that Scripture says? It's really good to pause and reflect on every decision as it applies to Scripture, and see if the book can give you any help in discerning the will of God. Next, verse 9. It says, During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us! <laughs> a vision. Friends, uh, visions can happen during the day, or during the night. When it's at night, you know, it's in your sleep. We call it a dream. That's what it was in the case of Paul. It says, during the night, Paul had this vision. Uh, Macedonia, you should know, is northern Greece. And so in his dream, somehow he knew that guy is a Greek. And he's calling, come here. And when he woke up, Paul's like, wow, was that a crazy dream. And he discerned God was in the dream. Do you believe God can speak through visions. Vision would be like an image during the day that's stuck in your head, or at night a vision is in the form of a dream. I, I fear we overlook our dreams too much. I've been more recently trying to pause. If I wake up and I've had a really funky dream, and in this quarantine season I seem to be having more than usual, I'll pause and I'll just say, God, are you trying to say something to me? Most of the times, no. But sometimes I feel like, you know, I understood a little bit more about myself through that dream or a little more about life or a little clarity on what I should do 
Friends, God has and God still does speak through dreams and visions. And so I challenge you to start reflecting on them prayerfully in the morning when you wake up and see if you don't find God in them. What's next? Verse 10. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Just want to point out the plural nature of we got ready to leave. We concluded that God had called us to them. Friends, this is plural. The, the, the discussion took place at breakfast. Can you imagine it? Paul comes down to join his companions and he says, guys, you got to hear about the dream I had last night. And together they discussed it and together they concluded with corporate wisdom applied that this was the will of God. When I talk about corporate wisdom applied, that's counsel. That's seeking the wise input of trusted Christian friends. And counsel's an important part of how God leads. The book of Proverbs talks about this a lot. Proverbs says on a number of occasions that the fool thinks he's wise in his own eyes and doesn't need others to speak into it. The wise man or woman seeks the advice of others. Friends, you say, well, that's hearing from others, not from God. No, God can and does speak through others as they lend their wisdom to your situation. And so I ask, I'm facing a decision. Love to know what you think. God's in that. Verse 11 says this, from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And then the next day we went on to Neapolis. All right, they are now sailing across the Aegean Sea over to Greece. Now I just want to point out that there's two ways to get from Turkey to Greece. One is by land, the other by sea. You may have anticipated Paul to go by land. In fact, this his second missionary journey has been entirely by land so far. Why the surprising shift from by land now to by sea? I'll tell you why. They have gone all the way, you know, as far as Troas, which is, which is further west. At this point, to go by land, you'd have to backtrack a bit and go up through the Isthmus by Istanbul. But from Troas, you should know, boats are readily available. In fact, this port city was called the gateway to Greece because there were so many ships heading over to Greece. I call this an open door. As they considered going by land or by sea, they said, hey, look, we have an overabundance of opportunities to go by ship. And so they said, let's take this open door as the way God's directing and friends, an open door. If something is dropped in your lap, some opportunity comes your way. Is it a guarantee that that's God? No. You got to use these others in combination, but it's a factor that God can use to bring clarity as to what his will is. And one more observation on that point. If you'll notice, it says, we sailed straight for Samothrace. Sailed straight. It turns out this is actually a nautical term. To 
sail straight means to have the wind at your back. You may know that in sailing, that only happens rarely. Usually you have to tack back and forth. Going straight is not an option because you've got to work with the wind. Well, when it's to your back, that's the one time you can just go straight. And as Paul is heading with his companions on that boat towards Neapolis, he feels the wind at his back, the sense that all these things have added up and that he's following God. Boy, there's an exhilaration when you have a sense that we're on the path God has for us. It was St. Patrick who once said, and may the wind always be at your back. And friends, I pray you feel that exhilaration of knowing you're on the path of God. Well, Now, there's one more, and let's turn now to verse 12. It says, from there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. Why Philippi? In the dream, they were going and called to Macedonia, Macedonia being northern Greece. But there were dozens of cities and villages in northern Greece. Why particularly Philippi? The dream didn't specify Here's what I see. I see Paul using reason to deduce that the best choice was Philippi. Let's put reason up here. You say, Jeff, uh, what makes you think reason played a role? Well, look at the descriptors of Philippi. From there we travel to Philippi, a Roman colony. You should know, in the Roman Empire, not all cities were created equal. Some towns, some cities were designated Roman colony, and as a result, they had privileged status in the empire. Similarly, not all people were created equal, according to the Romans. And there were some given the privileged status of Roman citizen. Paul happened to be a Roman citizen, and he knew in a Roman colony, he would garner more respect. People would look up to him because he's a citizen. So that made sense to go to Philippi for that reason. The verse also mentions that Philippi was the leading city of that district of Macedonia. Leading city means that they had, uh, they had influence on the other villages and cities that surrounded. And this just begins to make strategic sense. If we can bring the gospel to Philippi and they've got influence on other towns, it'll spread naturally. Do you see Paul using the mind God has given him to figure out which choice makes more sense? Some of you like to do the pros and cons list, and you tend to view that as an ungodly approach. No, no. God is in reason. He, he gave you the brain he did, and he can guide and lead through the careful application of reason. And friends... Through all of these added together, the Apostle Paul found himself in the town of Philippi. And God wants to use all of these seven, seven ways found in seven verses. And if you're attuned, looking for them, carefully thinking about them, God will use them all to guide your life and make it beautiful. I I just believe that God guides. One of the reasons I feel so strongly about it is my very presence here as part of the Compass Church was all about the guidance of God. In fact, uh, some of you have seen this before. I shared of it long ago, but it's a brass compass 
from World War II. And uh, I bought this uh, eight years ago, no, seven years ago, when God guided me to the Compass Church. I've actually only been at the Compass Church for six years, but it was a whole year before that I started to sense God calling me this way. Uh, I went on eBay. I, I said, I need a compass to signify I am feeling led to the Compass Church. And you say, well, how did you know? How were you so certain? Right here. Friends, I, I was having lunch with a good friend who told me about the opening of the senior pastor at the Compass Church. As I'm sitting there having lunch, the Holy Spirit attacked me. He said, Jeff, no, I'm serious. My heart started pounding. My brain was spinning. I, I drove away from that restaurant and I couldn't get this off my mind. My whole body was being stirred by the Holy Spirit. Couldn't sleep that night. The Spirit of God was just saying, Jeff, I am in this. That was huge. It wasn't all, though. Uh, Closed doors. Uh, I did actually uh, apply for a senior pastorate at another church. Crickets. Didn't hear anything. Wham! Closed door. I didn't want to go there anyways. Scripture. You know, I said, Lord, is this uh, of, of you? Is this a choice that would reflect biblical values? You know, would being a pastor at the Compass Church really be true to what you've called me to? And of course, it aligns with Scripture. Visions, dreams. In that season, I was dreaming like crazy. I'm not sure if any of them were guidance from God, but maybe I missed it. Counsel. Obviously, I was sitting there with my friend at lunch, and he said, Jeff, I know this church, the Compass, and I'm telling you it would be a perfect fit for who I know you to be. And others said as much. Open door. So interesting. Dale Hummel, my predecessor, the senior pastor before me, he called me on the phone four days after he had announced his resignation. Now, he had been called by my friend at the restaurant, but he was excited about it. And he said, Jeff, I want you to know we are very interested in you as the next pastor. I mean, right away, it seemed to be an open door. And then reason, oh, did I do the pros and cons, and I knew I was called to Chicagoland, but I knew I was called to a church outside of the immediate region that my old church was at, and I mapped it all out. I, I love the Evangelical Free Church, our denomination. It's the denomination I was raised in. All these reasons started coming together, and boom, friends. It didn't take long before I had crystal clarity. This is of God. And so it's sometimes big decisions like who I should marry and what job I should take and what career path I should pursue, what house I should buy. Sometimes it's little decisions like apologizing to your spouse. But know this, God guides. And if you're listening, if you're watching, your life, your every day can become a beautiful adventure that is created by the Creator. And that's exactly what I pray for you. In fact, let me pray for us all towards that end right now. God, we believe that you are active, that this world is shaking with your presence and movement. 
God, some of it, a lot of it is subtle. And Lord, we want to feel and see the tremors, particularly your guidance. God, even this week, teach all of us to sense your leading and follow you on the adventure you have planned. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.